Hello my lovelies and welcome to another episode of Primed for Crime. I am your host Liv and I'm very excited to have you here and I hope you enjoy today's case. So today I'm going to be talking about the murder of Bobby Stinnett, a 23 year old pregnant dog breeder from a small town called Skidmore who tragically lost her life in one of the most horrendous ways at the hands of somebody who she thought was a friend. So before we get into today's case, I just want to state that everything I talk about today is information I have found online and I mean no disrespect to anybody involved or mentioned. Now I will say that today's case is an especially sad one and I wasn't sure if I was actually going to do this case when I started researching it but I thought that it was important to bring light of this case and tell Bobby's story and get Bobby's story out there. So today's episode does involve mention of sexual, physical and mental abuse. So if this is something that you're not comfortable listening to, then please feel free to click out of this podcast. So let's begin. This is the murder of Bobby Stinnett. Skidmore is located in the northwest of Missouri, and some may say that this city is desolate, lonely, and even unlucky. And the residents drive their trucks down the empty streets with their main destinations being church or a gas station. And from the early 20th century to present day, Skidmore's population has fallen by half, with many of its residents moving away from this small farm town so they could have bigger opportunities in bigger cities. And I actually read that in 2019, it was estimated that 257 people actually lived in Skidmore, which, if you think about it, is really not a lot. And all these people were only just making ends meet by farming and working in nearby factories. However, living in this town was 23-year-old Bobby Joe Stinnett and her husband, Zeb. And they had a much more enjoyable job than the average person in Skidmore. They were actually dog breeders and they specifically bred rat terrier dogs from their own home. And the happy couple had been married for about a year at this point. And in December 2004, Bobby was eight months pregnant with her first child. So Bobby regularly posted to an internet forum as part of her dog breeding business. And this forum was for other rat terrier breeders and it was called Ratter Chatter. It's a bit of a tongue twister, which I guess is it is quite a clever name. I'll give them that. Um, so in this forum, the members frequently talked about breeding and showed off their dogs, etc. Just like Facebook groups, basically. And, you know, I will admit I am actually in a few Facebook groups for guinea pigs. And whilst majority of the time people are really nice and helpful... You do always get the odd few that feel like they just need to attack every post. Um, But Bobby definitely wasn't one of these people. She was known in the group as a very caring and kind person. And she loved to post her passion for rat terriers. But she also shared details of her and her husband's lives outside of dog breeding. And she actually announced to the group that she was expecting her first child in January 2005. Bobby regularly posted to an internet forum as part of her dog breeding business and this forum was for other rat terrier breeders and it was called Ratter Chatter and it is a bit of a tongue twister but I guess it is quite clever if you think about it. 
And in this forum, the members frequently talked about breeding and they showed off their dogs, stuff like that. And it was basically just like a Facebook group. And you know, I will admit, I am actually in a few Facebook groups for guinea pig owners. And you know, whilst majority of people are really nice and they'll offer you advice, you do always get the odd few that just feel the need to attack every post. But Bobby definitely wasn't one of these people. She was known in the group as a very caring and kind person and loved to post her passion for rat terriers. But also she shared details of her and her husband's lives outside of dog breeding. And she did announce on the group that she was expecting her first child in January 2005. And after this post about Bobby's pregnancy, another breeder in the forum called Lisa Montgomery also announced her pregnancy on the site. She said that she'd been pregnant with twins, but one of them had sadly died, but she was due to give birth to the surviving baby in December. However, other breeders were actually a little bit suspicious about Lisa's claims that she was pregnant, because they'd seen photos of Lisa at one of her dog shows, and she never appeared to look pregnant, despite her due date getting closer and closer. But you know, some women just don't grow as much, or they're able to hide it better, And some people don't even know that they're pregnant. And I guess Bobby understood this. I mean, she had no reason not to trust Lisa. So the two began messaging each other and talking about their struggles during pregnancy, but also how they were looking forward to motherhood and couldn't wait to buy supplies for their babies and even talked about their baby names. And in April 2004, Bobby and Lisa met at a dog show um, in Kansas for the first time and everything was great, everything seemed normal and I think they were just happy that they found each other and can talk about stuff. So it's now late 2004 when a man called Jason Dawson receives an email from a woman named Darlene Fisher. Now Jason was another breeder of rat terriers and was also a friend of Bobby's as he'd got to know her through dog shows and things like that. And as well as this, he was also another member of the Ratter Chatter Forum where he'd gotten to know Lisa. And Jason had never heard of Darlene before but it wasn't uncommon for him to get emails from people asking about buying his puppies and this is in fact what Darlene was asking about. However, she actually asked him if he knew anybody in northern Missouri who had puppies for sale because she wanted to get one for a children's Christmas present. And I am just going to state here, puppies are forever, not just for Christmas. Um... But Jason knew that Bobby's dogs had recently had a litter and would in fact be ready to go to a new home in time for Christmas. So he gave Darlene Bobby's name and her website. So this Darlene woman then emailed Bobby and also contacted her on Ratter Chatter under the username Fisher4Kids and told members that she lived in Fairfax, Missouri, which is about a 25 minute drive from Skidmore. The message Darlene wrote to Bobby on December 15th read, I was recommended to you by Jason Dawson and have been unable to reach you either by phone or email. Please get in touch with me soon as we are considering the purchase of one of your puppies and would like to ask you a few questions. To which Bobby then replied later that evening saying, Darlene, I've emailed you with directions so we can meet. I do hope that the email reaches you. Great chatting with you on Messenger and do look forward to chatting with you tomorrow AM. Thanks. Talk to you soon, Darlene. Have a great evening. Bobby. 
So the next day, Bobby was at home alone with the dogs and waiting for this Darlene woman to turn up whilst Zeb, her husband, was at work. And everything seemed normal. I mean, Darlene had come across as a perfectly friendly person when they'd spoken the previous night. Um, So it was approximately 2.15pm when Bobby was on the phone with her mother, Becky Harper, and she told her mum that she was expecting a woman to come by and look at the puppies. And at 2.30pm, Bobby heard a knock at the door and told her mum that the woman had arrived and she had to go, but this would be the last time that her mum, Becky, would ever speak to her daughter. Bobby answered the door and was surprised to see a familiar face. And this face was of Lisa Montgomery. But before she could invite her friend inside, Lisa barged through the door and overpowered the heavily pregnant Bobby before pulling out a cord and wrapping it around her neck and started to strangle her from behind until the struggle came to a stop. Lisa then pushed Bobby onto her back and with a kitchen knife started cutting open her stomach. Um, to open her womb and once the cut was large enough she managed to pull out Bobby's baby girl and wrapped her up into a blanket and Lisa just ran she just ran out of the house with her baby and drove away leaving Bobby lying there fighting to stay alive and when I read this it just absolutely it just broke my heart. I mean, just thinking of what Bobby was thinking in that moment. She saw Lisa as a friend and that so-called friend had just betrayed her in one of the worst possible ways. I mean, seriously, I just can't help but feel pain and so much upset for Bobby. Not long after about 3.30pm, her mum, Becky, stopped by the house to see her daughter but she entered the home only to find a scene that could only be described as something out of a horror scene. There on the floor, surrounded by her own blood, was Bobby, and she was unconscious and had a fist full of long blonde hair. And her mum, understandably, was in disbelief. She couldn't believe what she was witnessing, and she ran to the phone and quickly dialed 911, and she actually told the police operator that it looked as though her pregnant daughter's stomach had exploded in quote marks exploded but there was no sign of her baby anywhere but paramedics quickly got on the scene and tried everything they could to save Bobby's life but unfortunately she was pronounced dead at 4 27 p.m. Police did believe that Bobby's baby was probably still alive at this point seeing as though it had nearly been carried to full term but was likely to be small and in distress after such a traumatic birth and the investigation into this murder and kidnapping began immediately. The authorities started to knock on doors and asking each neighbour if they'd seen anything suspicious that afternoon and in fact one neighbour said that they had seen a dirty old red car parked in Bobby's driveway at about 2.30 and this was a car that they'd never seen before. Nodaway County Sheriff Ben Espy was determined that an Amber Alert should be sent out for Bobby's missing baby. However, this proved to be really difficult and not all of his colleagues were convinced, seeing as though very little was known about this baby and usually information on the most basic details like eye and hair colour are required and they just didn't have that. 
but thankfully at about 11.30am on December 17th, this Amber Alert was finally put out. And by the next morning, the news of Bobby's brutal murder and the kidnapping of her child was covered all over the media. I mean, it just spread like wildfire. And actually, in North Carolina, another rat terrier breeder, Diane Sitka, saw the news that morning. And once she realised that the poor woman was in fact Bobby, her heart just sunk. I mean, she saw Bobby as an actual friend and had spoken with her regularly on the forum. After finding out this terrible news, Diane logged into the forum where, of course, she was flooded with posts about Bobby's murder, but she started scrolling through recent posts from the last couple of days, I guess to see if there were any clues on her message board, and she came across the messages between Bobby and Darlene, and when she saw that Bobby had sent her address across to this woman and was meant to be meeting her, and as well as the creepy username, Fisher for kids she just knew that this was all wrong, something was going on, and she thought that it was so wrong, in fact, that she called the FBI and told them about what she'd found. So the FBI are now involved and are combing through Bobby's emails from December 15th, and sure enough, the emails from this so-called Darlene Fisher were there, just staring at them in the face, and they obviously attempted to track this Darlene down, but of course, there is no Darlene Fisher, she just doesn't exist. They needed desperately to find out where and who these emails were coming from. I mean, the person who did this god-awful crime could potentially just be in Han's reach. So they employed a computer forensic analysis to trace where the emails had been coming from, and it led them to a modem, which I think is like a router, um, hooked up to a telephone line at the home of Kevin Montgomery on South Adams Road in Melbourne, Kansas. I mean, does that name sound familiar to you? I think it does. So now we're in Melvin, Kansas on the 17th of December and Lisa and Kevin Montgomery are showing off their newest addition to their family. It's sick, I know. Um, They called the baby girl Abigail and Lisa proceeded to tell her friends that she had been shopping the previous day when she had suddenly gone into labour in a store. She then claimed that she was taken to the Birth and Woman Centre in Topeka where she gave birth and called her husband telling him about the situation and that she needed to be picked up so this is when Kevin and his two teenage children got in his truck and drove to Topeka to pick up Lisa and his new baby and Topeka I'm not actually sure if I'm saying that right so please correct me if I am but we're just going to roll with it we're just going to roll with it so I've read that a couple of friends and family said that the baby was small, but otherwise looked pretty healthy. I mean, they certainly had no idea about the terrible and traumatic birth that this baby had gone through, and certainly didn't know that it wasn't Lisa's. However, little do they know, the FBI agents are waiting on South Adams Road, And yep, that is the Montgomery's road. They were waiting right outside their farmhouse and waiting for the arrival of the old red car when eventually the dirty red Toyota Corolla pulls up and out steps a man followed by a woman and this woman was carrying a newborn baby. 
So these agents approach the couple asking if their names were Kevin and Lisa Montgomery, to which they confirmed and the agents then followed them inside and went on to ask them questions about the baby, to which Lisa proceeded to tell them the exact same story that she'd been telling her friends and family. I mean, did she really think she was going to get away with it? Really? Well, the agents aren't stupid so it wasn't difficult to catch her out. I mean, obviously, they'd already checked with the Birth and Women's Centre, so they knew that there was no record of her giving birth the previous day. And when they confronted her with this, Lisa broke down and instantly confessed to her awful crime. And Kevin, on the other hand, was just in total shock at his wife's confession. He really had believed that Lisa had been pregnant, but... I mean, seriously? Did he really? Did he not even question it in the slightest? I mean, it does sound a little bit strange, if you ask me. So Lisa was then arrested and charged with the federal offence of kidnapping resulting in death. And as for Kevin, it was soon established that he wasn't involved in any way, so no charges were brought against him, which, I mean, fair enough if he genuinely didn't know. But, you know, I'm just saying, just saying. At the trial of Lisa Montgomery, there were a fair few people who testified, including her ex-husband, Carl Bowman, her current husband, Kevin, along with his ex-wife, Laurie Colwell, and Jason Dawson, who was the person that originally referred Lisa, well, Darlene, to Bobby. So Lisa's ex-husband, Carl, I mean, what did he have to say about Lisa? Has she done anything like this in the past? Because... It does seem pretty radical if she all of a sudden just decided to commit this crime and lie about it and, you know, just all the horrible things she's done. And during the trial, Carl testified that his ex-wife could not have been pregnant at all because she'd actually undergone a tubal litigation in 1990 after the birth of her fourth child. It said that her doctor had recommended the procedure due to the doctor's belief that Lisa would no longer be able to carry another pregnancy to term. And this was after the child was born two months premature. But I will note that some sources say that her mother actually pressured her into doing this involuntary sterilisation. But I'm not sure, so don't quote me on that. But the fact is that she had this procedure done. And surprise, surprise, even after the procedure, Lisa went on to fake five more pregnancies, two of these whilst she was still with Carl, and even more shockingly, he said that the day before Bobby's murder, Lisa had actually called him and told him that she was going to, quote, prove him wrong, in reference to him previously saying that he would expose her lies about being pregnant and use her deception against her during their upcoming custody hearing and this was over a battle for their four children at the time and Carl went on to say to the press quote she was never pregnant anything they're buying about a lost baby a miscarriage all of it's a lie end quote Kevin, her current husband, testified that his wife had claimed to be pregnant three times since they had been married and each time he seemed to believe her. He said that the first two supposed pregnancies had ended with Lisa telling him that there was something wrong with the baby and that she had to get an abortion. However, the third time was different. 
When he saw Lisa carrying Bobby's child, he genuinely believed that this child was his, even though one of Lisa's relatives told Kevin that she was unable to get pregnant because of the procedure. And he still believed her. He said that he didn't know what this meant. He didn't know what the procedure meant. Which, again, fair enough, but, I mean, I don't think it's that difficult to understand, me personally, but there we go. So, Kevin's ex-wife testified that she thought Lisa had absolutely been tricking Kevin and went on to explain that Kevin lacked social skills and could be easily manipulated. So, you're probably thinking, Liv? What even was Lisa's defence? How does she think that she can get out of this mess that she's made? And honestly, I have no idea. But she pled not guilty, even though she had confessed and her defence attorney, Fred Duckard, made the decision to pursue, and you guessed it, insanity defence in an attempt to avoid the death penalty. Her attorney, Fred, argued that Lisa had suffered a lifetime of mental illnesses due to relentless physical, psychological and sexual abuse and she had received this as a child by her stepfather, Jack, and her mother, Judy. However, a lot of the abuse and torture that I'm about to share with you wasn't actually revealed to the jury during Lisa's trial and only got revealed during her appeal. A lot of people see this as a massive failing on the part of her attorney, Fred. Now, although the crime that Lisa committed was horrendous and awful in so many ways, and I don't think anybody would be able to give somebody like her, the abuse that Lisa received at the hands of those who were supposed to protect her can also be described as evil. I mean... I'm not making excuses for Lisa whatsoever. What she did was terrible and X, Y, Z. But again, abuse to anybody isn't isn't a laughing matter, isn't a victim-blaming sort of thing. Abuse is bad for anybody. Like, it's not a nice subject. Um, so now I'm just going to take you back in time to Lisa's childhood. And just a word of warning, some of this information could be quite upsetting for some people. Um... So when Lisa was a very young child, her mother began selling her to male friends and acquaintances for sex. And Lisa had an older sister called Diane and she seemed to be the only person that ever really cared and looked out for her, but she too had the same treatment from her parents. When Diane was eight and Lisa was four, Diane was removed from the home by social services and placed her into a really lovely foster home, but unfortunately, Lisa was left behind. Judy, her mother, went on to marry a man called Jack Kleiner, who I can only describe as plain evil, and Lisa quickly became a target for Jack's sick acts. He'd actually built a room on the side of a trailer that he owned in the woods where he would keep Lisa, And it was a place where nobody knew about and somewhere where he could rape Lisa whenever he pleased. And because it was in the middle of nowhere, nobody could hear young Lisa's screams. Lisa learned not to resist Jack's attacks and when he slammed her head so hard into the concrete floor, it caused a traumatic brain injury. There was one time when Jack was raping Lisa in Judy's home and when Judy walked in, 
um, she wasn't angry at her husband for what it was doing to her own daughter. No, I mean, she was angry with Lisa and Judy rushed out of the room and got her gun, came back and pointed it at Lisa's head and was just screaming at her, you know, how could you do this to me? And obviously this is appalling for anybody and it's so sad to think that there are people out there who think this sort of behaviour is okay because it's not, it's really not. Um, so after this, Lisa began drinking to cope with the torture that she'd endured and it became clear that Lisa is the product of the system that failed her over and over again. Despite clear abuse and despite the awful poverty that she lived in, social services only came back once to check on Lisa. Just once. And even that one time, nothing came from that. And at the age of 17, Lisa's mother forced her into marrying her stepbrother. And this man is Carl Bowman. And unfortunately, it's said that he continued to abuse Lisa by regularly beating and raping her. They both went on to have four children together. And again, they all lived in severe poverty and received visits from social services. Cornell Centre on the Death Penalty Worldwide said, quote, Lisa's trauma was so severe that it compromised her neurological functioning and development. As a result, Lisa has trouble processing information and navigating social relationships. She struggles to maintain her own hygiene, loses focus during conversations with others, and has trouble planning simple tasks. End quote. Her defence, Fred, went on to claim that Lisa suffered from a delusional disorder called, hang on a second, pseudokysis? Pseudokysis, I think that's how you say it. I'm really bad at this. But basically that is when a woman's body mimics all the signs and symptoms of being pregnant, but in reality isn't pregnant at all. In fact, two renowned neuroscientists supported this defence as expert witnesses during the trial, and they also said that it was likely that she suffered from depression, BPD and PTSD. Despite this, federal prosecutor Roseanne Ketchmark and expert witness forensic psychiatrist Dr Park Dietz strongly disputed Lisa's defence argument that she suffered from, oh god, pseudosciasis. Pseudosciasis. <laughs> Um, and Ketchmark said that the defence trying to connect the murder and the kidnapping to this illness was, quote, some kind of voodoo science. And the jury saw this with the same eyes. Ketchmark argued that even though Lisa had suffered terrible abuse, this did not take away the fact that this murder had obviously been strategic. Oh my God, I cannot get my words out today. Stra- strategically planned, there we go, which meant that it was premeditated and it was believed that Lisa had done this because she was in fact worried that her ex-husband would use her fake pregnancy claims against her in the custody hearing, just like Carl had testified, that's exactly what he said. On October 22nd, 2007, after just five hours of deliberation, the jury found Lisa guilty of kidnapping leading to death. And just four days after this, they recommended the death penalty. 
The next year, on April 4th, 2008, US District Judge Gary Fenner officially sentenced Lisa to death. And years and years went by until, I mean literally years, until October 16th, 2020, which is a long time and she was just sat on death row, I guess. Um, So yeah, October 16th, 2020 was when they announced that the execution would take place on December 8th, 2020 in Indiana. And she would actually be the first woman to be executed by the US government in nearly 70 years 70 years. But, you know, months would pass due to COVID and reschedules, and even the question of whether Lisa's mental illnesses could stop her from being executed until on January 13th, 2021, which was just last year, Lisa was executed by lethal injection at 1.31am at 52 years old. So after all of researching this, I was concerned. I mean, how's the baby? Did the baby get back? You know, is she healthy? And actually, once Lisa had confessed to murdering Bobby and kidnapping her baby, the authorities did take the baby to the hospital at Topeka, where she was reunited with the father, Zeb. The baby girl was named Victoria Jo and was referred to as a miracle. And once the doctors had done checks on baby Victoria, they were confident in her health and Zeb was allowed to take her home. And despite the very traumatic beginning that she had, it is reported that she is doing absolutely amazing. And I'm 100% sure that she is surrounded by, you know, amazing, supportive people in her life. Bobby was laid to rest at Hillcrest Cemetery in Skidmore. And 400 people attended the memorial service where they mourned and remembered the kind-hearted young woman who tragically lost her life in the most horrendous way. And that concludes today's episode. So thank you very much for listening. I know it's not been not been the nicest case, but I do hope that you enjoyed it and I do hope that I have you back for another Primed for Crime episode. But in the meantime, if you are still craving for more true crime cases, you can head over to my Primed for Crime TikTok, where daily I will post small snippets of cases and you can interact, you can comment, let me know what cases you would like to hear from me. I do actually have a few lined up that I'm very excited to talk to you about, so I'll keep you posted on that. So please stay vigilant, please stay safe, and I will see you very shortly. See you later.